Hi, and welcome to the Canine Translators Podcast. This podcast is dog trainers talking about dog natural training and all things dog behavior. We are your hosts, Tara Sturmer and Laura McClure, head behavior trainers at Canine Working Mind in Austin, Texas. Our goal in this podcast is to help our species understand canine communication and their behaviors. This episode is sponsored by Canine Working Mind, a dog natural training center offering one-on-one sessions, group classes, and more. Visit canineworkingmind.net for more information. That's canine working mind with a K. Good morning from Austin, Texas. This is the Canine Translators. I am one of your hosts, Tara Sturmer. And I'm Laura McClure. And we are happy to be back this week. It is a beautiful Sunday morning here, or Saturday, Thursday morning. What Thursday. day is it? It's Thursday. Oh my God. I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> She said Sunday. <laughs> I said Sunday. I was. I'm just hoping for a day off soon. <laughs> right on. But it is gorgeous outside. It's sunny and it's cool weather for a change here in Texas. Um, and we had a great response to our last uh, podcast, and we're super super stoked uh, that we had our special guest on. And today we are going to be talking about specialty training. Yeah, pretty much all. Uh, how to have fun with your dog, but also while working towards addressing some potential behavioral concerns or because we discussed uh, dogs that are overly frustrated because of us most of the time. Uh, some of these things can help to be able to give you something to do. To right, and I'm going to say, Laura's going to sound a little tired this morning because she didn't get in her until 3 o'clock in the morning. It's yeah. dirty stay out. I'm just a little dedicated. Right. Um, so where we are, we are rocking and rolling. I have had enough coffee, so I'm going to poke it fun at her today. She has not yet, which no. is always fun for this podcast. <laughs> All right. So specialty training, what is it, right? We get that a lot. What is specialty training? So specialty training is um, basically training that is not obedience. We still need obedience for specialty training, but it's not obedience specialty training would involve tracking uh nose work or scent detection um agility, agility. tri ball fly ball tri ball fly ball um you know these are specialty trainings you know heel class that's a specialty training of its own but it's more so for um obedience yeah uh and obedience is absolutely vital to go into specialty training because if your dog doesn't know how to stay yeah if they don't even know how to sit or lay down. Right. Uh, it's kind of hard to do specialty training. Now, what Lori and I do are not specialty training towards competition. So I'm going to get that off in the very beginning of this podcast. We do not gear our specialty training towards competition. There are tons of trainers out there that'll do specialty training for competition. If you want to go and, uh, you know, do competitive sports yeah. and win ribbons, Absolutely. That is awesome. And I love the dedication. One of our clients, her husband has a pug. He had come to one of our events. He does agility. He got hooked on the, you know, agility portion of our event that we did. We just were showing people what agility is and what it looks like. And he put his pug through the motions. It's little Gus the yeah. agility guster if yes. you're following it on i love instagram. watching him go through the the agility course he's on instagram we're going to have them hopefully on the show too at some point um but agility training can be for any dog and they're gearing it towards competition he is always doing competition which is fantastic yeah 
He's great at it. Too. He's great at it. He's a quick little pug. Yeah, he is. Um, I have hopes for my pug. <laughs> hopes. Hopes. I don't think he could do it because he doesn't have the brain capacity, but <laughs> I love him. Tony is a spoiled little pug. But some people don't think that a pug could do agility because they are smaller, but they're also the short mug face. So then it's also a great advocate for the fact that, you know, any dog could do agility. They don't have to be the, you know, athletic dogs out there like the labs or the border collies uh, or the healers going out. And those aren't the only dogs that can do something like agility. Right. Uh, and pretty much anything. And, and it goes with any of the specialty classes. Like tracking. It yeah. It doesn't have to be a lab or a German shepherd that's doing scent work. Right. Um, and I could say uh, a lot of people do nose work for competition, um, you know, tracking uh, field trials. And that's fantastic. And I'm, I would love to see everybody go on and do that, but it's, uh, a lot of our uh, listeners and clients don't have that capability to yeah. go and, you know, spend a weekend in a different area and uh, do the com- competition. So a lot of people don't put their dogs through the motions because they can't compete. And I think a lot of people will stray away from these specialty classes because they think that they have to be able to dedicate to that degree. And for what we do with the specialty classes, you don't have to dedicate as much time as you would if you were doing obviously competition competition. because that's not what our specialty training is, is working towards. It's not geared towards the competition side. It's it's geared towards the more behavioral side of it. And that's one of the main reasons we wanted to talk about this today on our podcast is because there are so many dogs out there who could use one or all of the specialty trainings that we offer and that other trainers offer that don't do it necessarily towards com- competitiveness. Yeah. You don't have to compete to get your dog a new hobby. Yeah. And I think when we do consultations with, I mean, a majority of our dogs that we see in consults, once we know that they've gone through the programs to where they're going to be ready for a group situation, or sometimes even before then we'll throw something like this at them in a private session. We've done some of this stuff just because it's not just about, Hey, let's have your dog have some fun. It's also towards let's use this specific type of training for tracking or agility or whatever, because we're thinking about it long-term for their behavior. Right. And that's what we gear ours towards is everything can help behavior problems in a dog. And you don't have to have a ton of equipment to do this kind of stuff. I mean, there have been many times where I've taken uh, just everything I could find on the street. When I've done my community program, I'll pull up into a community, low-income communities. Usually they can't get the dog someplace to do training. So we would pull into the neighborhood and we would unload broomsticks cinder blocks, things that you would find on the street and set up a very, very rough agility course. Yeah. But it would get the owners involved. And some of these dogs had zero social ability. Some of these dogs had uh, absolutely never seen outside their backyard Yeah, or walked on a leash. So just getting the dog focused on their child handler, right? Because we get the kids involved or their parents, right? They get involved in this on the street and they're working and running these, these very, very rough agility courses, um, without noticing the other dogs and the other people that they came out barking at. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, one of the biggest things is with our group classes, when we do the, these classes and groups, 
a lot of owners are nervous because it's their dog's first group class after maybe doing some behavioral stuff or they know that their dog is reactive. So when we go, okay, it's time, like group classes, what's next? Um, A lot of times, you know, it's the immediate, like, I can see it. Their anxiety just goes through the roof. I have to remind them to take a deep breath. Um, And when they come for their group class, they are very stressed, but once their dog, because lots of dogs will come out on the field and, and be barking. Right. But it, we're, I mean, I'm super upfront about the fact that like your dog is probably going to react, but I don't want you to just cut it off right there. Give them an opportunity because there, there's a reason why I recommended doing tracking for this dog or agility for this dog. Not every dog um, is, you know, going to do well at tracking. So then I might recommend agility because of their specific behavior right. that they have. And it helps. Yeah. To find, a, and this is something that I like to tell all my clients, right? Somebody comes to me and I have a dog that is laser focused on another dog, laser focused, cannot break the focus. And we hear that a ton during the week, right? There are private sessions. Yeah. I can't break my dog's focus. There's no way you can get them to stop looking. I have to drag them away from that other situation, that situation that I'm in where they're staring at a human or a dog that they don't like. I say, I love that focus. Let's do some nose work. Scent detection. Yeah. Yes. Scent detection. Let's take that focus. Now a dog is going to stare at something and put all of that energy and focus on something bad because it has no alternatives. Yeah. Nobody teaches their dog an alternative. What else can you use that kind of focus that kind on? Of focus for. Let's get him using that nose. If we could get him to, let's say, do a passive alert and freeze over a scent, all of that energy that it took to stare at that other dog or human it didn't like is now focused on a now job. Something else. Yeah. And it can ignore everything around it, but we gave the dog an alternative rather than just correcting. Right. Yeah. And I think it's hard when you have a dog that's super uh, either reactive or you just don't feel comfortable with some of their behaviors or maybe they're nervous out in public or in groups or, you know, they might have some of that social stuff that we talked about before. Um, And so then you're thinking like they wouldn't want to go out and do some of that stuff um, or you're just nervous to take your dog out there. But in reality, once you find the thing that they're going to enjoy and you can enjoy it, I mean, the the difference in a dog when they're doing something like this, tracking or agility or dry ball or something is pretty phenomenal once you actually can see the change. And we've seen a lot of dogs have that great shift of I don't like people or I don't like dogs to, yeah, I'll walk right up to them. Right. And I'll lay down. I'll be calm. Right. I'll be vulnerable in front of them because I was taught that a passive alert means treats. Right. Right. I was taught that this is what you want, but I'm not going to do it in a reactive or aggressive state because I know that I'm working right now. And that's the big difference. Right. So like with tracking, we have a lot of clients and of course I'm, I'm kind of, uh, She's a little biased. I I am biased. I am. I love it. I absolutely love search. I love scent detection. Um, So I use it a lot with our dogs that don't like people and our dogs that don't like dogs. Tell them what the difference is between tracking and scent detection. So a lot of people don't know. Right. So tracking, uh, there's two different types and a lot of people don't know that either. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's actually three different things that you can do here. 
and there could be more, but I'm not a competitive person. Um, and I haven't stayed up to date on what the competitions are. Um, and I'm not going to lie about that. I do it just for behavior. So, uh, tracking is following a track that was laid on the ground and a dog is going to ground sniff. They're going to follow that track on the ground. The scent that was put down, they're going to follow it and they're going to tell you it's pretty much a direct line. Mm -hmm. Trailing is when they search the air for the scent and they're looking for a scent cone. Tracking, you'll still get that too, but more so with an air trailer. So trailers are going to put that nose up in the air and they're going to go from one edge of the cone to the next. And a cone is what, let's say, I'm the person that they're looking for. My scent is concentrated where I am. Yeah. And then the wind blows or the environment around me, I start moving and that scent is going to get fanned out like a big cone. Yeah. So an air trailer is going to go from one end of that cone to the next and they're going to go back and forth and back and forth. Until they find the... Until they find it's going to get lower and lower and smaller and smaller until they find the point that that odor is coming from. Yeah. So that's air trailing. And then tracking is following a track that was that laid in the sense. ground. Yeah. Now scent detection or nose work, is following uh is finding a specific scent in a room they're not following a track they're not following a trail they're going to search every part of that room for that specific scent so it's got nothing to do with the track that was laid it's got it's just the specific scent that's hidden somewhere yeah uh drug detection dogs some dogs uh and a lot of dogs we're gonna i'm gonna try to get somebody on here um and talk more about the differences in that because mm -hmm. I, there's a I lot always, of stuff that goes into that. Yeah, there's there are, that's a specialty field, and I'm gonna try to get somebody on here, uh, guest speaker, to discuss the specifics about nose work mm -hmm. um, and scent detection and police dogs. Yeah, and um, but uh, basic, basic, yeah. basic is there's a couple of different types of dogs you have. Uh, you know, dual purpose dogs, which I think is kind of rare now, uh, dual purpose dogs. And I might be wrong. Like I said, I'm not in the, in military or police canines, um, dual purpose dogs are, are detection dogs and apprehension dogs. Some dogs will do HR human remains, uh, search. They also can do, you know, uh, apprehension. Some dogs will do cadaver dogs and human remains or uh or uh live find live find is what we call it yeah. human remains and live find uh some dogs will do just narcotics and some dogs will just do human remains they can't do a live find yeah so there's it's a lot that goes into that yeah. field which is why i said i'm gonna get a specific yeah specialist to we don't go into that. all of that i don't go into any of that um we are just doing the basics because a lot of people don't want to go into that. Now, search and rescue, I can say, honestly, it's not about the dog. It's about the human. The human has to have that kind of commitment. They have to have the ability to do it. It's an expensive sport. It's an expensive uh, volunteer, basically. You're a volunteer. You're not getting paid to search. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people go in think they want to go into search and rescue, but they're they're doing it because, oh, I got a dog that can find anything. So I want to do search and rescue, but I can tell you any search and rescue group you go to, they're not even going to want to talk to you. If you start talking about your dog and how good sniffer it is, <laughs> they want to talk about you. Yeah. Can Dedication. you, right. Can you dedicate all this time? Can you have the physical capabilities to do this? It's not about the dog. Dogs do this for a living. Yeah. 
You right. Could, you could teach pretty much any dog to be able to do it. Yeah. It's just, and well, not any dog. Cause if you did search and rescue a Chihuahua would only have maybe a 30 minute window of search. I mean, they could still do it, but they yes. would just have a smaller window, which is why I do it so broadly. Yeah. I will teach any dog to track a scent right. because some of our clients have a Chihuahua. Yeah. They don't have the time. If they're sitting at dinner and a pager goes off, I'm saying pager cause I'm dating myself. Yeah, you are. Good Lord. Just a little bit. Okay. So if you're sitting at a family dinner and your phone, your iPhone, your smartphone goes off, <laughs> uh, I almost said landline. Wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> your house phone goes off. I'm so old. All right. So if you're sitting at family dinner and your uh, phone goes off, you have to be able to get up and go. Yeah. Uh, nobody, ha- a lot of our clients don't have that kind of time. They have jobs, they have family. They don't have the time to dedicate. If you did, we can send you in the right direction. Because there is always a call for search and rescue personnel and handlers. However, a lot of our clients don't. So I have just taken what I know knowledge-wise from search and rescue to go into how can I help my everyday client that has a dog that is driving them insane, chewing holes through walls, (laughs) chewing through, (laughs) we've seen it. Yeah. Right. Uh, You know, shredding everything they see or getting socially uh, inexperienced because the owners are afraid to take them out. And I'm applying that stuff to these dogs. So our average person can do it on a daily basis without having to go weekly to a class. They can practice it at home. They can get their dog stronger and it helps. Yeah. And that's the whole point of the specialty training is like some of what we've already discussed before in like episode four, where we talked about uh, the social issues and your dogs having uh, separation anxiety or control anxiety, uh, or even in episode five, where we talked about ways that we frustrate our dogs. I mean, these are all great classes to try to help either with your dog's anxiety or social skills or decreasing frustration. Clearly communicating because in order to do the specialty training, you have to be part of the team. Right. Right. And it teaches people on a daily basis how to be a team and correct less. Yeah. So, and that's a key for us because we hate corrections. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And I'm, I I get a lot of slack about that. Oh, you don't correct. You don't correct. I don't. It is so rare you will hear me correct. Now, if a dog is trying to rip the throat out of a human or a dog, yes, I'm going to correct. But there is absolutely no need for it if there's no true intent to do harm. Because most times if that dog is trying to rip the throat out of a human or a dog, (laughs) there's miscommunication somewhere. Yeah, there's something that's that's been... uh either built up that right to that. It's not like they were born doing that. Right. Um, so we don't like corrections and our specialty training or doing any specialty. And it's not even us. Yeah. You go anywhere and do this stuff. Find a good nose work. You don't have to do a competition. Find a good trainer that is teaching you nose work, teaching uh, agility, teaching tribal. Uh, yeah. And again, these are all things, and we're going to break it down on which specialty training does specifics for the dogs and how we use it yeah and how you can think about if you are going to a training facility what do you think would be best what do you think would be what best some of the goals you have for your dog and you can see if hopefully this podcast helps you go oh i could do that because you know i'm going to find an agility trainer i'm not really looking for uh, competition or speed but i'm looking for body awareness so yeah. let's talk about start off with agility Right. Why do we use agility for behavior? Where does it help with behavior and body? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really like agility, uh, and many, I mean, I'm trying to build an agility class in my yard. Right. She's, uh, <laughs> she's obsessed and biased about agility. Like I am yeah. about tracking. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, my dogs really enjoy it, but I, I like it so much one because of the body awareness thing, which is kind of what we talked about with Christina in the last episode is how important body awareness is for a dog. Because if, my dog doesn't have great body awareness, they're more likely to injure themselves. Yep. Because especially when we talk with agility, I'm talking to clients in a class, I'm telling them it's not about how fast they go. I want your dog to slow down because the slower they go, the more they're having to actually think about what they're doing with their body and pay attention to not just their chest and their front end, which is what most dogs do because yep. my, my whole thing is most dogs don't know that they even have a butt back there. Right. And they just flail that thing around. And that's why you have so many dogs with hip and knee issues because of that fact. Yep. Um, so it's making them have to slow down and think about that. Um, but it's also making them have to really concentrate on like where they're putting their feet or how they're jumping. Like, I don't want you to jump and have a ton of pressure on your elbows and shoulders. Cause again, I don't want that kind of injury. So pay more attention to what you're doing with your body. Um, pay more attention to where your feet are. Cause we, we call it flappy feet. If mm-hmm. they're, you know, their feet are just kind of flailing and it's trying to get them to bring their feet up underneath have a better them. Gate. Yes. And, um, all of this is working towards just getting them to have more awareness with their body so that it, it helps them just in every day, like going on a walk and you can do it every day. You don't have to have expensive equipment. Yeah, like I don't, I mean, I only, right now I only have, I've bought a tunnel and I just got a teeter for Christmas, mm-hmm. but the rest of the stuff that I have, I'm like, creating out of PVC pipe or then one of the things belts right right (laughs) yeah just literally going and putting belts on the floor as like the like a ladder situation and making my dog kind of have to walk and try not to step on the belts good job yeah Yeah. that's that's creative so (laughs) but yeah so and that's kind of what we do with agility right is we uh you don't have to have a lot of people like well I don't want to do agility because I'd never be able to practice outside of a training facility you can. I have had people and that I have literally said, you, uh, most people, hopefully most people have books in their house. Hopefully. Books or, or you get, uh, I mean, now a, a lot of people are getting Amazon packages, right. you know, deliveries, use those boxes. You can create jumps, right? You could create a tunnel with boxes, like we put just, some boxes in a sheet. We just did that with a dog that was afraid to go through a doggy door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Behaviorally. What am I going to use? The dog's afraid to go through a tunnel, a, a, a little, a little doggy door. door. So we made a tunnel, yeah. a box with a towel on either end. Yeah. First, it was just a box and we taught them how to go through. Then we started putting the, t- the, t- the towel halfway, closing the exit, and he'd have to push through a little bit. Yeah. And then it was all the way down. And now it got to a point where we could put the towel over the doggy door and he can go through. Yeah. So it helps. Yeah. You don't have to have expensive equipment, an empty box. Yeah. Everybody is doing home deliveries. Something. You got to yes. have something that some right. sort of empty box instead of throwing it away, you know, think about how you could use that. Those boxes can be used for scent detection. Yeah. 
Right. I mean, it can be dual purpose because right. that's why I don't get rid of all the boxes that I have. So, well, you're just a hoarder, uh, a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but using those boxes either for jumps or you could have them weave through boxes. They right. don't even have to be the same size box. In all honesty, it's just trying to get that movement going. Right. Uh, get your dog to be able to um, go through it with you. And the other area I like with agility too is. Um, is it helps for some of those dogs that are Velcro. Um, and that kind of goes for tracking and stuff like that too, but it makes them have to leave their owner's side a little bit to go and do something because they need to be able to create a little bit of that space, which right. can help with some of those dogs that have that separation or even control anxiety because it gives them a little bit more confidence to oh, I don't have to be attached to your hip all the time. I can separate a little. I can separate a little to go do this thing that you're asking me to do. Getting your dog to work for you, but a little bit away from you. Right. So that it's also building a little bit of confidence and and good independence. Because, I mean, independence in a dog is good, but I don't want my dog to just be completely independent and not care about me. They still have to focus on the team. Right. So it's, you can be independent, but at the same time, you're, it's for a job that you're doing this instead of, I'm just going to ignore you. Right. So that's why the other areas I like for agility is I like seeing those dogs that were afraid to go over the jump or nervous to do the A-frame. And the big thing is I, I mean, we always tell them we're not going to force them to do anything. If they're nervous about it, I'm not going to force them to go through the tire or the tunnel because I don't want to break down the trust and that I'm trying to build. And here's the thing. A lot of times the confidence booster, right? Or the confidence in the owner to be able to protect their dog. Right. This is something we're always talking about. Um, and most competition agility trainers would probably scream when they hear this. Um, but I have always said to my owners when we're doing agility or a jump, if your dog's afraid to go over that jump, step over it with them. Yeah, do it with them. Step over it with them. Yeah. If they're afraid to go through the weave, go through it with weave, them. Weave through it. We're not doing it yeah. towards competition. Well, and, that's- and for the competition agility trainers, please no hate mail. <laughs> I know there is a proper way to do it, but for mm-hmm. us, it's a confidence booster. Yeah. I mean, I don't make my owners go through a tunnel or anything, but no, I, I can shorten the tunnel. I'm going to say I have had an owner crawl through. Well, that's pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive. I loved her. <laughs> um, or like jumping through the tire. I don't make them crawl through the tire or anything, but I will say most of the classes, if I have a dog that's nervous about doing the tire or the tunnel or the A-frame or something like that, we will go as far as they are okay with. And then, okay, that's fine. We can, we can bail safely. Um, and right. then will come back around to it after they've done some of the things they're comfortable with. And almost every time, and the owner is always very surprised, each time they come to that piece of equipment, they go a little further. They go a little further. And by the end of the class, they're doing that piece of equipment like they've been doing it the whole class because they are no longer worried about it because, one, their owner wasn't worried about it, and their owner listened to them. Exactly. They didn't force it. Right. So, And and that's something that we do see, uh, well, I have seen in 35 years. And uh, I haven't gone to any, I don't have time to go to any dog events at this stage in my career. Um, I wish I did. I would love to get my kids out to an agility event, a real agility event, mm-hmm. so they can see the comp- competition st- side of things. But Back in the day when I started this, they were forced. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and they would go to uh, 
they would say, let's do it a little further. So this time make them go a little further. I was like, whoa, stop. Yeah. If your dog can see that they're not trapped. Now that's part of what we like to tell people is let your dog see they're not trapped. If they go up on that teeter and get three feet on that teeter and then hop off, I know that's a big no-no in competition. Yeah. But here's the thing for us. If that dog goes halfway on that teeter or even three steps on the teeter and steps off and we go, that's fine. We're going to just walk away and do a different piece of equipment. Then next time we go, the dog goes, okay, well, my owner didn't force that. Yeah. I wasn't trapped. Yeah. There is an escape and I'm allowed to do it. I didn't get corrected for doing it. So maybe I can go a little further. If they don't, they don't. But if they do, you see an ultimate achievement in both the human and the dog. Yeah, I do. And that's why I like agility because I do get to, I like seeing that where it's a light bulb, not just for the dog, but for the owner, because they, you know, a lot of the times it's the dog that won't, don't want to go on walks. They pancake on the walk. They're afraid of going out in social settings or, you know, the my dog won't do it because they can't focus enough because they're focused on everything else out there, whether that's other dogs and other people. But the moment that we actually start going and doing, and then, and then their dog's doing it by the end of the class, they're, they're excited about it. I mean, I'm excited for them, but, but their dog is actually enjoying and they're not stuck in that headspace anymore. And that's kind of why I like the agility is that not just for the body awareness, but it's also for the confidence of the dog, but confidence of the owner in the same capacity of realizing that, that they can do this. Right. And And they can actually, and they can actually act like a team and overcome issues. Right. Yes. And that's, that's what I like. Yeah. Because we do have plenty of reactive dogs that come to the agility Mm -hmm. class and they'll come in and yeah, the first couple minutes they're barking while I'm talking and it does not matter to me. But the moment that we start going through and doing the course, I mean, the, by the end of the class, it's very quiet. And agility can be done, y'all, with every dog. Now, yeah. I'm going to say in 2012, I want to say, I think it was 2012, and I might be wrong on my date, I had a client come in with a deaf and blind dog. I actually had that puppy's mom uh, and adopted out the other siblings. Uh, it was a deaf and blind dog named Gaia, who was my dog. She was the mama. Um, we're going to go into depth in this with one of our future podcasts about differently abled dogs. Um, but Carol asked me if I thought Charlie, her deaf and blind dog, could do agility. And I went, hell yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Nobody else was doing it. Yeah. Everybody else was like, well, the dog's deaf and blind, so we can't train it. Or no, we can't. The liability. We've had, we had plenty of people yeah. that said... Um, you know, the liability was so great that no way I would never put a deaf and blind dog on. And I was like, that's, that's in my book, stupid. I'm going to yeah. use your term. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> that's stupid. That's Laura's term, by the way, she has <laughs> dubbed it. Um, but why is it stupid? It's stupid because every dog can do it and yeah. you can adjust things for a deaf and blind dog for them to learn. Well, we have We're, that now, right? We have it now in your, in your intermediate agility. Yep. Cause we have, um, duck who is doing agility and she came after doing behavioral stuff and she did my basic agility class uh and did great at it she loved it and then she suddenly lost her it was very sudden just it just happened and now she's in the intermediate agility and while she's having to kind of relearn the equipment uh we're just using it and teaching her the equipment in a different way now and we're going to go into depth for all of those who have a deaf or a deaf and blind dog or a blind dog 
Yeah. We are going to go in depth in a future podcast. Because we're just a little biased about those oh. dogs. Man, I love those I'm dogs. I'm going to tell you, we have both owned uh, differently abled dogs. So we have an entire podcast about our what we call T-Dog. And I would definitely encourage everybody to listen because it is so inspiring, not just mm-hmm. for uh, different uh, blind dog owners, differently abled dog owners, but for anybody. Yeah. Because like duck suddenly lost her. Yeah, it, was it wasn't something that her mom was Excuse expecting me. to happen. And right. that can happen to any dog. So, right. but, so, but we're going to get into that totally different in a completely different yeah. podcast. But yes, every single dog can do it. And that goes into like tracking and scent detection. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Deaf, blind, or behavioral, or nervous dogs. Pugs. It's the same thing. Say, so a lot of people say pugs can't do nose work or, or tracking. Any squish face dog. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Yes, they can. Yeah. I mean, Tony, I always joke about my little pug because he is a naughty, naughty boy. He's the kid's dog, so he is a kid. Uh, but I'm going to say, Tony, as much slack as I give him, if I ask him to go and search for something, that short mug nose is going to go and find it. Yeah. He is eager to work. So then let's go into the tracking and nose work stuff. So we talked about agility and the great things that it can do for certain dogs. So what is tracking or nose work then going to help in a behavioral aspects? What are some of those things? Here's my bias. You're going to hear me BSing (laughs) about this now, right? So a lot of times people just think tracking is to go find an item or find a human or save a life. And yes, it It can can be used that way. Behaviorally, I have had dogs that were so terrified. One client in particular who we're going to have uh, as a guest, to talk to her, yeah. uh, guest speaker, um, she has a dog, Malcolm, who was absolutely petrified. Not just Malcolm, another one who is going to be coming on talking about uh, his experience. Uh, Rufus, his owner, Laura Lee, is also going to be on uh, on as a guest speaker because it's it's so important for people to understand that it is not just for solid, confident dogs. Yeah. Malcolm was totally terrified of humans and environments. I remember when he was in just obedience class and we had taught him just touch. But right. when I went and I first met him, I had to like turn, almost turn my whole back and not look at him while I ha- held my hand out backwards right. for him to come and touch me. And even then was super stressful right. for him before he started doing tracking. Right. And he was very nervous about people, yeah. but now because we put him through tracking and again, a lot of people are like, well, you know, that's ultimately going to stress the dog. No, Malcolm, we found, this. right. We found a way to get him to see humans that he was petrified of as a great reward. Yeah. So he, it came out where he was like, people are awesome. And yeah. I'm going to go and throw myself at their feet. Rufus was afraid of everything. Yeah. Uh, poor Rufus. Lorely, uh, a saint when it comes to taking in, um, you know, dogs with uh, issues, right? And when she first got Rufus, it was challenging for her. She was he was afraid of everything, uh, and we'll go into more about Rufus when we talk with her in in her podcast. Uh, but he was afraid of every environment. We went through tracking. We taught him how to track, and we what was he afraid of? Everything, right? Yeah. So let's start teaching him and small increments. And then we started getting bigger and bigger and bigger to a point where we were actually able to do a search for a human in Tomlinson's. Oh, dang. Yeah. We brought him to Tomlinson's, which would have never happened. He would have pooped all over himself. Yeah. 
and he did not pay attention to anything. In the very beginning, he looked at the floor like it was lava. And then as soon as Laura Lee said, gather and search, bam, Done. it was like a switch went off in his head and he went, I could do this. Mom has confidence in me. I could do this. So tracking actually builds their confidence. If I know a dog, Zoe, right? Uh, Zoe is another dog that has high dog reactivity mm-hmm. uh, and owners are the, her owners are amazing and have done all the behavior, but we needed that extra step, right? Yeah. That extra step was how do we get Zoe to stop barking at the other dogs and lunging at the other dogs? Well, let's have her find them. Yeah. Let's, right. let's hide the dog and have them be the thing she looks for right. and goes to. And when she gets there, I'm calm because dogs are great things. Right. So basically what we did, and we weren't just, you know, walking up and tossing a treat to her. She actually had to do the work. Yeah. Right. There's specific programs for specific yeah. dogs. And it's not like you went straight into like with either any of those three, like let's immediately start finding a human or a dog right no. off the bat. I mean, there were definitely steps leading up to it, steps building it. And okay. and the steps in tracking and, and nose workers sense detection are to teach the dog that the owner is there as a team member, not as a corrector. Yeah. Right. Team member. And we give the dog a little bit of leeway here to take a little bit of independence. Again, Again a that, little bit of independence, yeah. but as a team member to fall back on. Yeah. We put it in a mindset of a job. That's why we call our, our training business working mind. That's all we focus on. Keeping that dog. What is the problem? Let's put it in a job. Yeah. If I have them do all the work to go and find that dog that they don't, they necessarily did not like in the beginning. And then they lay down when they get there, when they get to that dog, instead of attacking it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it takes a lot of work to get there, but she's doing it. She yeah. can run up to a dog and lay down. Yeah. I found this dog. Yeah. Now give me a payment. Yeah. And it's, and that's why I like, cause with agility, with tracking, it's, it's not just, we're only using it for one specific purpose. Right. Like they, it's very broad and you can have dogs that we're going to recommend tracking for them, but maybe not agility right? or, or vice versa. Or we might say, Hey, both of them are going to be great options. So you have multiple options and it just depends on the dog because it's kind of what, what do we think is going to benefit them the most, what's going to be the best thing for them driving wise. Right. And you know, one of the other things that we do, uh, another specialty training, tribal. Yeah. And I'm probably saying that wrong and I'll probably get hate mail about that too. I think it's tribal because it's a German thing. Um, but soccer (laughs) hurting. So it's hurting slash soccer. So if if y'all don't know what it is, okay. And we get that a lot. What is that? I call it doggy soccer. And for me, it's, you know, it's hurting because that's what you've done. It's hurting because I've done hurting. Yes. And I haven't. So I'm just like, oh, they're pushing balls around. Right. So they're playing soccer, but soccer, but hurting at the same time. So basically that's what it is. You, You have these giant exercise balls on the field and you're teaching your dog to control that ball from across the field and bring it to you in a net, which is where the soccer comes in, right? So they're punching that ball. Pushing it with their nose, not their mouth. And I'm going to say, this is where the behavior part comes in for me. Right. If I have a dog. It's extra mouthy. That is crazy mouthy. Link. Crazy mouthy. Everything that gets them excited, they put their mouth on. Well, let's do some try ball. Here's why. I'm teaching them to boop with their nose instead of bite. Yeah. A ball, I put my mouth on it, I bite. That's what, nope. yeah. That's what we did with Link when, yep. uh, and his moms uh, were great with it. And he was fantastic with tri ball. Right. And he started learning to just 
boop with that nose instead of using his mouth. Right. Or jumping. Yeah. Right. Jumping on so top of. In the beginning classes of tribal, one of the things that we see is the dogs are circus dogs. They yeah. put their feet on it, they jump on it, they bite it. Yeah, we go through a lot of exercise balls, but five below, y'all. Five yeah. below. Five bucks for a ball, and yeah, I'm fine. replacing it. It's yeah. fine. Don't go out and spend forty dollars on an ex- exercise ball for tribal. Yeah. You you can get any cheap exercise ball, even yeah. the the big uh, balls that you find in H E B. Yeah, the kid balls, ninety nine cent balls. Yeah, yeah. Use those because they're going to get popped in the beginning. It won't matter. Yeah. But what we're doing is teaching the dog to control their mouth in an excited state. Yeah. Ideal. Have a little bit more self-control in your own self without the jumping and have more control in your jaw by don't use it. Right. Use your nose instead and push versus bite. Right. I'd much rather a dog go up to a person and boop them versus bite them. Right. That's, that's my, my Tahoe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tahoe, uh, you get goosed by her all the time because she'll come up and when she was pup, she used to nip. Yeah. Now she boops everything. Like I'll be standing there in a class and forget about her because she's sitting there being so calm and patient. And then she goes boop in my butt with her nose to make sure that I know she's still there. But when she was before we did this stuff, she would have I would have bruises on my butt cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> because she had some nippy behavior. But yeah. Now she doesn't do that. She doesn't nip anything. Yeah. She never uses her mouth. She boops everything. Yeah. And that's fine. Actually gets a lot of giggles out of people instead of them going, Oh my god, your dog bit me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she didn't really bite you. She was kind of just getting mouthy, but I can teach her how to boop and everybody thinks it's cute. Yeah. So tribal is, I mean, we definitely use it, but it's also for a team sport too, right. because it's, yes, you're again, that independence for your dog, but in a team, cause you're sending them out to go do that job of, of hurting the, the exercise balls. But bringing them See, you to admitted you. it. It's hurting. I know. Okay. See, I know you say soccer. But <laughs> it is soccer. They're just not it's, using their feet. Whatever, dude. It's hurting. All right. So we're going to uh, disagree on that forever. <laughs> but here's the thing. Distance can practice, right? Yeah. So I have a dog that I cannot get to listen to me once it's past 10 feet. And they go, leash isn't on. See you later. I'm outside the social circle. You don't exist. Right. So tribal is a great way to get that distance control. Yeah. Right. Because it's a game. You're yeah. fun. Yeah. Even when I am 20 feet away from you, we're playing a game. And and, um, and you're fun. Yeah. I'm still going to be focused on you because you might randomly ask me to do something uh-huh. and something I enjoy doing that you're just inadvertently using in a behavioral aspect at the same time. Right. So part of tribal too is when a dog goes and rushes at the wrong ball. Yeah. Right. You can get them to a point where if they go, let's say you have a blue ball and a yellow ball, right? They go to the, the, blue ball and you want the yellow, yellow, you could tell them stop and they will stop like a horse in an arena. Yeah. They will slide to a stop and go, okay. What do you want now? It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, you can take that to utilizing it for either exercise purposes. Cause I mean, for us, we live in Texas. I need ways to be able to exercise my dog. That doesn't include going on a walk in 110 degrees. Yeah. Uh, and, And, and because we're in Texas, it's 110 degrees. The pavement is like, 200 degrees. Yeah, exactly. All day. Yeah. So, and even in the grass, I mean, we were right. taking the temperature last year and it was ridiculous. Yeah. So this is something I can do in the house, um, even cause it, you don't need a huge space to be able to do something like this. Right. Create a little goal. And, and it, if your house is too, 
small for a big exercise ball. I mean, you might start with the bigger ball, but then be able to move it into a smaller one. Because if I remember correctly, you had a client that did that on a walk, right? I I literally was just looking at you going, oh my God, yes. Because I remember this, where you told me that they started with the yoga ball and then they started having him push it on walks. Oh, he was so amazing. But he went down to like, what, a golf ball? Golf ball. And he would push a golf ball on the walk. He had a healer. And that. he wouldn't pay attention to anything else but that, but the ball. Yes. He yeah. lived, he lived downtown and downtown Austin. Y'all, if you have not been here, it is crazy. It's kind of like a little mini Manhattan. Um, and there's people and bikes and scooters and, you know, uh, mounted police and all of this stuff going down there. So there's always something going on, right? Yeah. Um, horns honking, sirens blowing, whatever people crowding the sidewalks and running past you and whatever. So he had a healer that was way too stimulating for him right? That dog was a ranch dog in his blood. And then everything that moved downtown, he had to chase. So we taught him tribal because he had a hard mouth. He would go and he would nip anything that was in his path. So we taught him tribal to learn to boop instead of bite. Right. And he got so focused. He would start taking the ball and he'd move it all around the house. And then he took it outside and he would move it down on his walks. And he would control that ball on a walk. The and walk. then he was like, okay, the ball got too big. Is You think it's okay if I go lower? I'm like, please do, because yeah. that cr- that's more focus. Yeah. He, and he kept lowering it and smaller, smaller and, and it was smaller. smaller and smaller and smaller. And then he literally came back and he was like, you have to see this. And he was pushing a golf ball right down the street. He had his treat bag had two golf balls in it in case one got lost. Yeah. He would put the golf ball down and this dog would move that golf ball like he was moving sheep down the street. If it got too fast, he would jump in front of it and stop it. And he was literally just hurting that golf ball and he didn't pay attention to anything, which saved his life. Yeah. Saved his life because he didn't know what he was going to do. He thought he was going to have to give his dog up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lots of different ways for, I mean, incredible. I mean, he didn't do that for sports or anything. It was all behavioral based, which is what most, I mean, all of our specialty classes are are gearing towards is how can I help this specific behavior or this dog and their drive and be able to use it to our advantage and their advantage right. and be able to get you to have fun with your dog. Because so many people, I, I can't tell you how many clients we have that just their dog only brings stress or they just dread taking their dogs on walks or doing anything with their dogs. But but once we can find something that's going to be beneficial and work towards what drives that dog has, I mean, then it's great Endless. because it it does. It builds that bond between mm-hmm. you and your dog. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do anyways, because that breakdown of miscommunication where we see the anxiety and the frustration and all that kind of stuff is just a breakdown of your bond as well. Right. And our whole goal in this field, anybody in this field, is to help an owner, one, keep their dog. Yeah. Two, be less frustrated with their dog and have the dog less frustrated with them. Yeah. It's a happier relationship. You don't have to compete. That's basically what we're saying in this whole podcast, right? Every dog has the ability to do some type of specialty training. You don't have to commit a ton of time to. It helps your dog behaviorally and it's fun. You are supposed to have fun with your dog. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's fun. So, um, you know, we, we have a few other things that we would like to cover and we are going to talk about differently able dogs in a future podcast. I'm going to have, yeah. um, Laura Lee and Giselle as guests 
on the podcast. This way we could talk about how tracking helped them. We will be breaking that down into each individual sport and talk to people how it helped them. Yeah. Um, but the other thing too, that we want to talk about next week is can you overdo training? Yeah. We, yes, you can. I mean, and, and that's talking obedience. That's talking specialty training. Like that's anything. So it'll be kind of breaking down because we'll continue to talk about specialty training is good, but again, you have to have some of the basic stuff too. So talking about some of that, but then also the, if you, when you overdo it, what does that look like? Right. And we're going to be talking about overdoing training because that is a big problem mm-hmm. is people overdo. Sometimes they throw too much at their dogs yeah. or go too fast with their dogs. And we're going to really dive into that next, next uh, week because yeah. uh, Laura and I can sit here for the next eight hours, but we have sessions. Um, <laughs> and you know, as much as we would love to hash this out right now, we would have to wait. Yeah. But if you're interested in, in your dog learning something, some, uh, some sort of specialty class, uh, I mean, definitely look into trainers in your area, uh, and see, see what's available. Even if, uh, even if you think that, oh, my dog might not be good at this because they are highly anxious or, you know, they're, they're lazy. I get a lot of oh that my God. too. I can't but, tell you how many times I hear that. I mean, give it a shot. Let, give them the opportunity because you're never going to know unless you actually try. Right. It is super important that you always give a dog an opportunity and look for ways out of the box yep. to help them. It's not just cut and dry black and white, correct the dog for, for reactivity or overtreat the dog for reactivity. Yeah. There are other ways to do it. Think outside the box. That's all we're asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we love that you're joining us. I am so excited about watching those. I am obsessed. Laura and I are obsessed about watching the analytics. Mm-hmm. Please remember that uh, when you're listening to us on any of these uh, podcast broadcasting uh, platforms, to like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a comment. We like to know what, what you're thinking. Um, and if you have some specific questions or something you want us to address or bring up, shoot us an email. We got an email, uh, from, a, a past client, a past client suggesting some things we will be discussing. Yes. Um, we are going to try to touch upon everything. Anybody has a question about, even if you don't think it's worthy or you don't think it's a good question. Somebody probably has the same question. As I'm going to tell you, we answer everything. I will get into conversations about it. We can talk for hours yeah. about this stuff. And there is no question for me that will ever be not good enough for a podcast because yeah. there are so many things yeah. to discuss when it comes to canine brains and behavior. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas about future podcasts, please email us at info at caninetranslators.com. That's canine translators with a K. Please like, comment, subscribe, and share with your friends. Remember to always try to see them, hear them, and help them. And protect first.